And we do want to say a welcome to everybody watching by video online or at Taunton, our extension campus. Hello, everybody. Everybody here at North Attleboro, let's welcome in those who are watching by video. Good to have you with us. So we're in a Prosper series. You don't have to watch all the messages or be here for all the messages to get something out of every particular message. I believe they all have their own thrust. Week one, we talked about the fact that you need wisdom in order to prosper. By wisdom is a house built, and it's filled with precious treasures when you act and live in the wisdom of God. Number two, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about dropping the banana. What's that controlling influence in your life? If it's anything outside of Jesus Christ, it's an idol, and it needs to be let go of so that you can embrace the purposes and plans of God for your life. God owns everything. He owns you. He owns your stuff. You're a manager. You're a steward. And when you know that, it becomes very easy to trust him with what you have. But if you do not trust him, it's because you do not truly believe that he owns it. But when you truly believe that he owns it, it's easy to let it go. Because God is able to give you back everything that you let go of. And he will bless those who do life his way. In fact, I said that last week, prospering in life, the definition of prospering in life is, is doing life God's way. God's way, not ours. Now, today, Luke chapter 5, we all have this plan. I believe that everybody here, we have this plan to prosper. This idea of, I know what's going to get me to the next level, financially, relationally, whatever, spiritually. How, how does that happen? And some of you, your plan is, is pretty basic. It's one word. It's just work. I'm just going to work. I'm going to work my fingers to the bone. I'm going to work four jobs, three jobs, whatever it takes to get my family that indoor or that in-ground swimming pool and that nice car. And I'm going to pay all these bills and I'm going to make my life worth something because I'm going to attain to certain levels and I'm going to own things. For some of you, you're one of those people that you go into debt, and that's the way that you prosper, and you make very unwise decisions about credit cards and owning things, and, and you get those little mailers. I get like five a week, 0% interest for 18 months, and you actually believe that that is a good deal. <laughs> little do you know that they're going to charge you the entire interest amount at the end of those 18 months that you weren't paying. Just remember that. Some teenager needs to write that down for a future reference in this building. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody said that for a reason. And so whenever you, whenever you go into debt to get ahead, you're actually disabling the process through which God prospers you because the Bible says that the, the, the borrower is slave to the lender. The, the slave to the lender. That's, that's an interesting scripture, and it's absolutely true. And then there are those of you, there's probably not many of you, but there's maybe a, a, a bunch of you watching online, and your hope for prosperity is you're just banking on luck. You don't have a target, you don't have an aim, you don't have a goal. You're just hoping for the best, man. And you're going to the gas station, and you're filling up your gas tank, and then you're going inside, and you're buying scratch tickets. You're playing the lottery. You're just hoping and praying. Oh, God, you're making deals with God all the time. God, if you, if you do this, then I'll, I promise I'll give half of it to the church. And if you make that deal, just write your check payable to Waters Church, North Attleboro, and put it building fund in the memo. Amen. But, but nonetheless, can I tell you that those, 
those plans that we make in our lives, they're, some of them are completely wrong and some of them are okay. I mean, work hard, yeah. But God has a plan for the way in which we prosper. And it's one word. And if you're taking notes, you've got to write this word at the top of your notes. The plan that God has for prosperity in our lives is this word, obey. Obey. Do what God says to do. And it will go very, very well for you. You see, when you look at the Bible, when you read the scriptures, I mean, I just have case after case after case. In fact, you could say that the Old Testament is a series of case studies of how not to do life. And there's a few where it's like, this is how you do life. And there's a common denominator with all the people who were successful in the Bible. There's one common denominator. Here it is. They obeyed God. That's it. I mean, it's not that they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. It's not that they were born to the right family, the right ethnicity. Some of them were born on the complete opposite side of the right tracks. And and, and they, they just obeyed God. And they became empowered and blessed and prosperous in their life in bountiful and and wonderful ways. And it was as simple as just making a God choice instead of a sin choice. If you want to prosper, if you want it to go well with you in life, relationally, financially, socially, economically, professionally, obey. Obey. Do it God's way. Let me show you some scriptures to prove my point. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5. It says Uzziah obeyed God while Zechariah was alive. Zechariah was the prophet, the priest, I'm sorry. Because he taught Uzziah how to respect and obey God. And as long as Uzziah obeyed the Lord, God gave him, what's the last word? Success. Joshua 1, 7. Same theme. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be, what's the next word? Successful in everything that you do. James chapter 1, verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Sometimes it's hard to obey. You've got to have a persevering spirit. And he says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be what? blessed in his doing the common thing and and by the way i could i could open up 30 more passages that say the exact same thing in the bible obey me it will go well obey me you will prosper obey me i'll bless you obey me and you will have more than you can hold that's the theme so today i want to look at obedience in detail and i want to look at a guy who knew how to obey the voice of the lord jesus christ Luke chapter 5, stand with me as we read from verse 1 through 11. And it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had got out of them and were washing their nets. They were washing their nets for the next night's catch. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land. Somebody say, put out a little put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat and when he had finished speaking he said to Simon put out into the deep somebody say put out into the deep deep. 
and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Then they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in this moment we will receive truth that will transform our lives and lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. I pray that every heart will be opened and every spirit will be receptive to what you want to say to us. Convict us where we need conviction. Correct us where we need correction. Rebuke us where we need rebuke. Comfort us where we need comfort. Encourage us where we need encouragement. And may this moment be hallowed in your presence, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. I was a volunteer fireman in the little town of Munson, Massachusetts, the western side of the state. If you've never heard of Munson, join the club. And uh, I signed up because I, I wanted to be part of the excitement of getting to those big events first. <laughs> You know, my first call, I went out, and I remember being at a car crash, and, you know, I'm one of those spectator traffic people. If you're always wondering who's that person that's slowing down the opposite traffic for the crash on the other side, it's me. Because I just, I just want to see, oh my, look at that car, oh, whoa, he flipped it, whoa. And then, I'll, obviously, I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that they're... All, their soul is all right with you. I pray that they know you. I pray that they're healed, whatever. But I, I always wanted to be at the cutting edge of those exciting, kind of scary, stressful moments. It was like a, an adrenaline rush. And, and there's a saying among firemen. I, I don't even know. Maybe this is only in Munson. I don't know. We were kind of an insular community. Probably it was just us. But maybe it's, maybe it's across the board for firemen. Whenever you walk away from each other, and, and if you're a fireman tonight and you can tell me the truth about this, then do so after the meeting. <laughs> but we always walk away from each other and we say, a, we say a, a phrase. We say, I'll see you at the big one. I'll see you at the big one, which means we're, we're always ready for that big moment, that big fire, that big disaster that we're going to go and we're going to be part of putting out a masterous disaster. And uh, what they do is they give you this little buzzer thing, alarm thing. This was back 20 years ago now, almost 20 years ago. And you put it in your room and it was a radio transmitter. I got one of the cheapest ones and mine didn't tell me what was up, you know, with a little voice saying fire or whatever it was. Mine just went as loud as you can hear it. And it drove me nuts. And, and, I, and I would wake up in the middle of the night on several occasions and I would get dressed. I wouldn't shower, I wouldn't shave, nothing. Just run out the door with my clothes almost tucked in, drive all the way down into the fire department and get, in, get my gear on and get ready. And by the time I was on the truck, they would say, false alarm. 
Oh, man, I hated that, and I take everything off. And how many know when you wake up at 3 a.m., you can't, especially if you go all the way downtown and you come back, you can't go right back to bed. And, man, this happened like 10, 12 times in a row. And so one night, I was just like, I'm done with the late-night false alarms. So I'm sleeping soundly in my bed, and it goes off. And I'm like, no! Then I just roll over my bed. I, first, I unplug it, and I roll over my bed. And an hour later, a phone call. My dad picks it up. Is Tim there? We need him down here now. There is a massive barn on fire in the town. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. The one time that I don't pay attention, the one time, the one little instance where I do not listen to the alarm, I miss it. And it was, it, nobody was killed, nobody was hurt, but it was a barn. That was set on, that was just ignited. You could see it from miles. And, 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 and you know, teenagers have the sick sense of what's cool, you know, and, 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 and I even heard that there was cows that were exploding, you know, and I was like, oh, I can't believe I missed the exploding cows, you know. <laughs> I feel much differently about that now, so don't be offended. But, you know, that was like the moment that I got there late and they put me on fire hydrant duty. All my friends were up at the flames, putting out the fire. I actually could see them from a distance, and I saw them holding the hose, putting out the fire. I was like, ah! And I was in a water truck going back and forth for eight hours for a night, just doing nothing but listening to some old fireman tell me all these old stories of greatness. I'm like, I'm missing greatness right now. Would you please let me go? And I missed it because of one small one small moment where I chose to do my own thing instead of listening to the alarm. In our passage, Peter's tired. He's exhausted. And he's been fishing all night. This is the time of day where fishermen cleaned their nets, would mend them up, and then they would hang them out to dry for the later evening so that they could go out into the deep again at night and fish because fish couldn't, uh, couldn't see the net at night, so they fished in the deep at night. And Peter even says to Jesus, we've toiled all night, we have got nothing, so he's frustrated. How many of you have worked for a commission-based job of some sort and you've just gone from client to client to client and it's like nothing? Just one shift where it's just like, I, didn't, I shouldn't even have showed up <laughs> this, this shift. That's where Peter's at right now. And the Bible says that Jesus is becoming this incredibly popular speaker. The crowds, verse, 40, uh, verse 1, it says the crowds are pressing in on him. They want to hear him. They want to know what he has to say because he's been healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. I mean, could you imagine somebody coming through town and just doing all kinds of stuff like that? Just everybody's sickness, just healed, cancer, done, healed, HIV, healed. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you got, syphilis, healed. What, what do you got, Alzheimer's, healed. I mean, all these things and just healed. I mean, the crowds want to know what is up with Jesus and they're pressing in on him and he can't preach to them because they're so close, they're so compacted in on him that he literally can't get the, the message out to as many people as he wants. And that's Jesus' heart. He wants to talk to as many people as possible because this is the, the, the uh, beginnings 
of the move of the kingdom of God that would change history. So he can't be heard by most people. And if you look with me, it says in verse 2, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he said to Peter, push out a little from the land. In verse 2, push out a little from the land. Let me tell you about obedience. When it comes to obedience, obedience starts small. That's point number one. Obedience starts small. And some of you, you're obeying God in small areas. That's good. But there are going to be areas in your life where God is just going to start putting his finger of conviction on you. And he's going to start saying, I want you to stop doing this. I want you to start doing that. And how many know that most times, those requests from Jesus are not convenient. <laughs> like, here's Peter, tired, come up empty. You know, now he's behind on his clients. Now he's behind on his quota. He's got nets to wash. He's got nets to mend. And he's got, he's got a team of guys to just kind of say, oh, we'll try again tomorrow. Let's get some sleep and, and try again. You know, I mean, he's exhausted. And, and at this moment... Jesus has the audacity to say, I need to preach to some people. Can I use your boat? Actually, if you even read it with me, he doesn't even ask to use the boat. He just gets in Peter's boat. And he's like, hey, push out from, from the shore a little bit. That's how Jesus is. He just kind of comes in, and then he starts rearranging your priorities. And it's not convenient. It's not what you would normally do. That's where obedience starts, right there. The small areas, the small little things that you start to say, not my will, but yours be done. We pray that prayer, don't we? Our Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, right? What's the next word? Your will be done. And then we pray it, walk out of church and go and do our own thing. At some point, there should be shifts in our agenda along the way where we start to surrender areas one at a time sometimes, sometimes five at a time, where we just start saying, God, this is incredibly inconvenient for me, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Now, I want to tell you something about what Jesus asked Peter to do here. When Peter obeys and pushes his boat out from water, now he can't clean his nets. Now he can't get some sleep. Now he can't mend the nets. He's basically sacrificing big here. But it's, it's small in the grand scheme of things, but it's a big moment. And what he does is he makes Jesus more hearable. Because science will tell you that sound travels much better over water and much further over water than over land. And so Jesus, who has been pressed by the crowds, now has this kind of natural amplification system. You say, how did Jesus know that? Because he made the water. Okay, so he knows. All right. And he's got this natural amplification system so that he can preach to much more people. And in that small act of obedience, Peter makes Jesus more hearable. Are you hearing me? 
Because when you start to do the things that other people don't do simply because you know who your Lord is, it starts to open people's minds. Or at least it should. I got a question in my, in my notes for you. I, didn't, I don't know if I put it in the notes that you're taking, but what are you doing today that, would, that you would never have done if Jesus hadn't come into your life? Like how, how does your weekly schedule, how has that been impacted by the fact that you have just chosen to obey Jesus in the small things? Some of you fathers, let me talk to you for a moment. You have made church a non-negotiable for you. It's a small obedience, but let me tell you something. It yields big benefits in your children's lives. The studies are out there. Something like 93% of the time, when dad goes to church regularly, 93% of the time the adult children go to church. When dad doesn't go, it's like 10%. Had a man come up to me at Manfest and tell me, I remember that stat you said about dad's going to church. I just started a year ago and I want to introduce you to somebody. Here's my son. He showed up to church for the first time in his life. It's powerful. Some of my earliest memories of life was when I was up late at night watching television as a young kid. Well, not really late, like 7 p.m. <laughs> late for a young kid. And my dad would come home. He, he would go to work at 4 in the morning, drive truck for 16 hours, come home, sit at the dining room table, eat his cold supper, and flip through the church ledger and balance the checkbook of the church. Those scenes have in, been ingrained in my mind. His, his obedience, his faithfulness to God and the church made an internal impact in my life. I credit him for where I am in many, many ways right now. Some of you fathers are serving here at this church and, and you think that you're serving because you're doing me a favor. You're not. You're serving because number one, it's the right thing to do. And number two, guess what? Your children are watching you. Your kids are saying, Dad thinks church is pretty important. Like, like Dad does not watch the pregame show. You know, Dad, Dad does not give up Saturday nights uh, in church. He, he is dedicated. He is sold out. And, and there are many people here. That's your, that's your deal. You're sold out. You're here every single week. And you think, you know, I don't know what's, what's it all about. Here's what it's all about. Your kids are watching you and you are starting to turn the tide in your lineage and you're going to give birth to generations of children who will give their hearts and souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but it's so small. And it just makes a huge difference. It makes Jesus more hearable. Number two, obedience in small things leads to big things. It does. Just when Jesus challenges you in this area, he's got like this much bigger acreage in your heart that he's, he's going after. He's not satisfied being apportioned off to a little quadrant of your life. Somebody once said, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so it's incremental in many ways, but what happens is Jesus is always trying to take us to the next level of obedience. And this is exactly what he does to Peter. Peter pushes out a little, 
The next, the next request from Jesus after preaching all day, because he didn't preach for 30 minutes, right? And everybody went home. It was like hours, days. I mean, sometimes he preached for days. And so he preaches all day, and then he says to Peter, when he had finished speaking, verse 3, he said to Peter or Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now here's how you know that Jesus is bringing you to the next level of obedience. Because what he's going to do is he's going to challenge your core competency. This, Peter's core competency is fishing. He knows the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the tides, the timing. And here it is, maybe late afternoon. He's tired and he hasn't fixed his nets and he hasn't mended anything and he hasn't gotten any sleep. And here's this carpenter, itinerant preacher from Nazareth, going to come and tell him how to fish. That's challenging Peter's core competency. And you can almost hear it in his voice. Master, we've toiled all night. We caught nothing. And that's, by the way, Jesus, the time you should catch something. And you want me to put out into the deep in the midst of the worst time of the day? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. This is how the kingdom works, friends. This is how the kingdom works. It goes counter to everything the culture will tell you is the logical way to live. You read the statements of Jesus, one after the, another, after another, after another, after another, is exactly the opposite of everything the disciples thought was right. You guys want to live? Die. You want to have a lot of money? Give it all away. <laughs> you, you want to be ministered to? Minister to somebody else. You, you want to you love people? Love your enemies. You can just imagine how many times the disciples just had these jaw-dropping moments like, did he just say what I think he said? Yeah, he just said that. I can't believe it. That's how the kingdom works. Where there are big areas of obedience that God is going to go for the big ask in your life and he's going to say, will you trust me? Don't tell me it's going to take money because guess what? I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I can take care of the money quotient. Don't tell me it doesn't make sense. I am the wisdom and the truth and the way and the life. Go it Jesus' way. And Simon puts up a little fight, but it's not much. He says, we toyed all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. But at your word. But at your word. Some of you, it's time to have a but at your word moment. It's time for you to serve. It's time for you to give of yourself to the kingdom of God here at Waters Church North Attleboro. We had volunteer appreciation last week. It was awesome. We gave free Chick-fil-A to all of our awesome volunteers. <laughs> Be jealous if you weren't there. We even had the cow here. You know, we need you. <laughs> we, we need some people to step up and say, I'm going to support this church with my tithes. And I know it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't look like I can't afford it. But God can do it. He can come through. 
It takes money to reach people for Jesus. And the money doesn't come from some denominational organization that's somewhere else in the United States. We are on our own. We are big boys and big girls here. And we trust you and we rely on you, but we need you. Step up. Say, this place is reaching people for Jesus. I'm going to put my seed into that. I'm going to support that. You know, that Jesus is watching from heaven. I really do believe this. God is watching from heaven. Who's going to be faithful with the little things? I'm going to put them in charge of many things. The problem is that we live in a Mark Zuckerberg generation. We do. The kid codes a couple of things on his computer, and four years later, he's a billionaire. And there's a lot of people in the church. I found a lot of people in the church who are just like that. They think, they think that it's owed to them. We're living in a generation of teenagers. They just think it's supposed to be handed to them. Why? Because that's what mom and dad did. They just bought you the iPad when you were six. They, they, they fought for your rights at the Little League game. They wrote your teacher that nasty letter when they gave you a bad grade. They've been on your side every single step of the way, and then you get into the real world, and you're like, what the? Because it doesn't work like that, does it? Nobody gives you anything. you got to work. And, 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 and then you see like, these stars and this American Idol generation of, I'm a nobody yesterday, and I'm somebody extremely important tomorrow. It's like, that's not real. Now, the people who have prospered, listen to me very closely, that I know the people that have prospered are the ones who did the little things well for a really, really, really long time. And at the right moment, their ship came in. But it wasn't by magic. <laughs> it wasn't by, like, just chance. No, they really worked. There's a lot of Christians. They want to be important. They want to be on the stage. They want to have the power and the authority and leadership, but they don't even want to mop the floor. I got a problem with that because it's not the way of Jesus. He says, you want to be great? Here's how you do it. You serve everybody else. That's how you get there. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Let's, let's, let's annihilate that little idol. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great in the kingdom of God, but if you want to be great, greatly serve everybody else. That's how it works. It's counter to everything you've been taught. So there's a big-ask moment here, and, and, and here's what happens. Number three, big obedience brings big benefits. This is a good moment here, right? He puts the nets out, and it says that they caught so many large, such a large number of fish, their nets were breaking. You serve God in the big things and it will yield big blessings. Like um, some of you, it's just time to surrender your sex life to Jesus. Like, let me just get a little R-rated for a moment. <laughs> but you're doing sex exactly the opposite of the way God says to do it. And you have been led to believe that it's going to be okay. Why? I really, really believe this, that 95% of your problems would disappear if you just started doing sex God's way. 
If you, if you just, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll. All right, if you just stopped having sex with someone that you're not married to. Like 95% of your problems, over. Because sex does nothing good outside of marriage. It doesn't. And you want to get ahead in life, and you want to be blessed, and you're taking this holy, godly action that is incredibly wonderful, but also incredibly powerful and dangerous, and you're doing it your way? Come on. Repent. Now. Tell that person, I'm done. Maybe you're sitting next to them right now. Just elbow them. How do we prosper? Obey. Obey. Brings big time benefits. Brings big time benefits. I don't have enough time to go into that, but let's go on. Number four, obedience requires partnership. Obedience requires partnership. They signal to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. We need each other. You can't do this alone. You can't be a maverick Christian and prosper in your life. You have to have cooperation so that you can bounce things off of each other. This is the point of being in a small group. And I know there are many men in this church, you're like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm on my own. I've always done it my way. I am good. I don't need anybody. Like some guys get turned off by the idea of small group. Okay, call it big group. What's going to work for you? Life group, community group, help group, whatever. Man group. I don't care care what you call, but just connect. Right? You need it. I need it. And, 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 And it brings us together to do the work of ministry in partnership. Like some of you, you just... You can't figure life out. You're stressed. You're worried. You can't balance your checkbook. You don't know what to do with your kid. You don't know how to, how to handle your boss. And, and there's somebody maybe just five rows away from you right now. And they have exactly what you need because they've been there. That's why we come together in small group and we start to talk it out. And we serve one another and we minister to one another and we, we start to see progress, prosperity in our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It doesn't happen alone. Jesus sent them out two by two. Jesus sent them out two by two. He never said, okay, uh, somebody go and do this on their own. No, he gathered themselves, he gathered them together in a small group and then empowered them through partnership to do wonderful things in Jesus' name. Number three. What is it, number five? (laughs) Obedience changes your life. There are people here, and you are stuck in neutral. You're on the treadmill. You're just going nowhere, but you're sweating a lot, man. Your, your heartbeat is up, and you're sweating, and you're looking really like you're putting out a lot of energy and everything, but you're going nowhere. 
Do you, do, do you know why? Because you haven't obeyed. You haven't obeyed. It's time to shift gears and say, in this area, I'm putting my car into drive. And you say, I know it's going to hurt. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to take sacrifice. I'm going to actually have to trust God. <laughs> it's not a bad place to be when you need to trust God, trust me. <laughs> and you're just going to say, I am done doing it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. And you obey, and then it changes your life. And some of you are like, my life is so boring. It's just going nowhere. Obey God. Obey God. I think, I think that Peter was planning on being a fisherman for the rest of his life. Right? That's it. That was it. He grew up being a fisherman. His dad was a fisherman. His granddad was a fisherman. His wife thinks he's a fisherman. Everything. Fisherman, fisherman, fisherman. That's my life. Stuck in neutral. Back to the sea, back to the house. Back to the sea, back to the house. Boing, 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 boing. And if he had never obeyed the voice of Jesus, we would have no clue who he is right now. But because he said, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. What nets do you need to drop? When, G when Peter sees the fish, he knows that this guy is just not a preacher. <laughs> he's not just a rabbi. He, he's something much more powerful than that. And he falls at his knees and he says, depart, because I am sinful. I don't deserve this. Jesus says, be not afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. I mean, be very, very clear. Waters Church, pay attention for this one last moment. There is no higher calling in life than to be on the team of Jesus Christ and reach people for the kingdom of God. There's nothing more important. Nothing. Your job is not as important. I, I, I hate to tell you this. It's not. And I'm not saying that my job is any more important, but what I am saying is this, that outside of this moment, I got a job. When I go to the grocery store, when I have my neighbors over, when I do life, I got a job to take those people and try to reach them with the love of Jesus Christ. Because that's the highest calling in life. And that's, by the way, what this is all about. Some of you are very profitable in your business. The reason why God made you profitable in your business is so that you can fund the ministry to reach people for Jesus Christ. That's why. You're thinking, oh, ooh, look at this. God else really like me. No. He likes you. He loves you. But he wants to use you to reach other people like you. That's how it goes. How do you prosper? How do you get ahead? How do you get out of neutral? Obey God. Do what he says. Stop doing what he says not to do. Stop being a dummy. <laughs> Serious. Listen, I, I say this because every weekend, oh, I know I say the same things about certain areas, and it's just like, phew, 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 phew. Let it come in. Let it come in this time. 
and say, but at your word. Would you stand with me?